You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The San Francisco 49ers did the only thing that they could possibly do at the quarterback position to make themselves better. In my mind, the 49ers took something we've made very complicated and turned it into a simple answer. How do you keep somebody in the room that may make you better with little to no risk? 49ers answered that today. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And you guys can chime in if you disagree with me. Some of you guys are tweeting me. You can chime in on the Dr. Pepper, uh, Spain and Fitz Nation brought to you by Dr. Pepper. Uh, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. To me, this was very clear. Very clear. If you're the San Francisco 49ers, you have a quarterback with no proof of concept. You have a team that's close to Super Bowl ready, and you have no idea if your guy's going to be good or not. So what do you do? You protect yourself. You protect yourself by keeping Jimmy G, and that's what they managed to do. What I've been saying they will do for months. Jimmy G and the San Francisco 49ers agreed to a restructured one-year contract, keeps him in San Francisco, according to Adam Schefter. Contract contains a no-trade and no-tag clause. Those are important. The no-trade clause, he could obviously waive if he wanted to later in, the off, uh, later in the season if there's an opportunity that makes sense for everybody. But in the meantime, he remains in San Francisco and will be free to leave in 2023. He'll serve as the backup. New Year one-year restructured deal is worth $6.5 million in base. He can get uh, some bonuses and will give him up to $9 million. So now what? You know, it's been wild on Twitter. Some people, uh, Fruity Pebbler, has been tweeting me about the fact that well, apparently we don't hold the 49ers to the same standard we're holding the Patriots, I guess. He feels like everybody's out on Mac Jones, which doesn't, frankly, align to anything I've heard. The Dan Orlovskis of the world, the Lewis Riddicks of the world. It feels like a lot of people are in on Mac Jones. I don't hear a lot of critiquing of Mac Jones, but he feels like there is, and now nobody's making a big deal about the fact that a project quarterback isn't ready. Here's the thing that everybody's forgetting. We already made a big deal of that. So I was hosting an NFL draft show on ESPN Digital when Trey Lance was picked. I was stunned. Everybody on the broadcast was stunned. And it led to a lot of questions. What are they doing? A lot of conversation that Kyle Shanahan gets some level of benefit of the doubt because of his work with quarterbacks. All right. So we questioned it then, but we said, hey, this is going to be a project. He may not even see the field for a year or two. Now what have they done? Well, they've protected themselves in case that project doesn't work out. Is that a bad thing? Explain to me how that's wrong. Explain to me why we should be questioning any of it until we actually see how the project plays out. He's the, uh, this is the phrase I use all the time that Sarah laughs about. The ultimate, Mike could, like uh, Trey Lance, Mike could be good. We don't know. But he might also suck. And if he does, if he's terrible, if Trey Lance comes out on the field as an absolute egg, then aren't the 49ers the smartest person in the room for making sure that they have somebody else that can step up behind center? That they have somebody that, if he can stay healthy, has led them to success in the past? They have somebody that knows the offense? They don't have to teach anybody anything? They don't have to worry about anything? They have somebody they can plug and play if they need to. If Trey Lance, God forbid, gets hurt, or if Trey Lance just goes out and stinks. They have an insurance plan, and that's brilliant. I'm telling you, the only way that anybody can see that this is a problem is his psyche. I, I, I don't know about y'all, but, like, for me, if I already beat somebody for the job, like, if, if, if I beat somebody out and then they're still in the room taking a pay cut to be there, wow, they can eat humble pie every stinking day. 
They can eat their humble pie every day while I work on being the best quarterback I can be. Now, I don't know why we decided everybody's soft. You guys don't all uh, agree with me, though. Seth in New York. Thanks for calling Spain and Fitz, Seth, man. Give me what you got. What you going? I don't think that's true because Trey Lance is going to be so pressured from Jimmy G since they, since he knows that he's a better Q and he's shown better, then why would he – if he ever messes up, then Jimmy G's going to take over him and he's going to – he's just going to have so much pressure on him. But why? I mean, wh- why do you because, think that he's going to feel pressure if he knows he already won the job and nobody internally has said for a single second that Jimmy G has a chance to take in the job? Jimmy G's uh, he's shown has been here for way longer than Trey Lance. He, Trey Lance has played like three games, and Jimmy G's play, played gotten into the Super Bowl. So he's that the Forty Nine ers are for sure going to want to put him in. That's what's probably going through his mind. I, I Seth, I, thanks for the call, man. But I just if that's your franchise quarter, if your franchise quarterback is that soft, you got a bigger problem. Like to me, the, these coaches see what we don't see, which is practice. These coaches are in what we're not in, which are meetings. And from all of that, these coaches decided they were ready to turn the page, right? So if they're ready to turn the page, you're walking in every day saying, hey, everybody in the building already anointed me. I, I mean, I don't care what the, what the guy next to me is doing. And frankly, no. Uh, obviously, if you've seen me for two seconds, you know, I'm five, nine and a half, uh, 170 pounds. Like, look, I, I, I didn't play football. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But I've certainly lived in competitive industries, whether it was in music or whether it was in sports. If I beat somebody out for the gig – and they still show up at the bus call, cool, go get my Doritos, I beat you. Like, I, there, There's a level of confidence in all of this that I think we're, we're suddenly presuming Trey Lance doesn't have with no basis for that opinion. There, there has been no indication from anyone inside the 49ers organization or anyone that reports on the 49ers. Not a single person has said for a second that the organization's wavering on their starting quarterback. So what's the big deal? So the guy you already beat for the job without even having to do anything on the field to do it, you just beat him out. Coaches gave up on him. Is still showing up at work? If, if Any of you working anywhere, and, and maybe tell me if I'm wrong, but if you're sitting in a room right now and you look next to the person next to you, you look to the person next to you and you guys make spreadsheets for a living, if you get promoted and they don't, if you get promoted and they get demoted, are you incapable of sitting around and, and still doing your job? Uh, the great quarterbacks? I don't know, man. I think the great quarterbacks step up, and the great quarterbacks understand they control the room. I mean, they, they control the room. Steve in Jersey. Is this, is this, this a different call with Devin? Am I, do I have the same call or different call? Hey, peek behind the curtain. We've got another caller. I think this is Steve, right, Devin? Who do we got here? Yeah, we got Steve. Yeah, First one was Steve Seth. New Jersey. Yeah. Jason, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I'm an Eagles season ticket holder, and look at what happened a couple of I don't know, a couple months after Carson Wentz signed a $180 million, $180 million contract, they drafted Jalen Hurts. You know, Carson Wentz was the uh, man. You know, he, was, he signed a big contract, and uh, drafting Jalen Hurts completely messed with Carson Wentz's head. And uh, in the long run, it might have cost the Eagles. It was either a 38 or a $45 million dead cap hit, which was the largest in NFL history. So, uh I yeah, think it could mess with the uh, could mess with uh, Lance's head a little bit. But Steve, you're forgetting the other instance. Like you're just glossing over the most, I think, significant instance we've seen. Nick Foles, like Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, all sang "Kumbaya" through a Super Bowl, right? Right. He was not happy about Nick Foles doing all that work. Remember what you call it. Another another thing where 
against Wentz was uh, Darren Sproles had to basically pull him aside and tell him to stop moping around the sidelines. Yeah, well, I, and to, but to that end, Steve, and thanks for the call, man. To that end, we saw Wentz and Foles go a little back and forth. Jalen Hurts wasn't the first instance of Carson Wentz being questioned. Also, I would argue today, right now, that Carson Wentz is not a quarterback I believe in. So you can, at some point, you can put whoever you want in the room. If you don't believe in the quarterback, it's going to be an issue. If you do believe in the quarterback, it shouldn't be an issue. Like, if they go back and forth on Trey Lance, it would take Kyle Shanahan doing what bad coaches do, which is going back and forth on the quarterback position. Uh, Kyle Shanahan gets all the benefit of the doubt as a quarterback whisperer. It would take uh, John Lynch, the GM, going back and forth on what he's trying to accomplish, which there's been no indication of him being that type of GM. You suddenly have to have a competent coach and a competent GM become incompetent at the same time that a confident quarterback becomes unconfident. That's a lot of things you'd have to build together, and we're all building that together in our minds, but there's not been a single shred of evidence anywhere that that's actually how any of these gentlemen click. There's not been a single shred of evidence of a lack of confidence. There's not been a single shred of evidence in a lack of confidence in Trey Lance. This is nothing more than a great insurance plan. And if you can have the mother of all insurance plans, it doesn't mean you think that all's going to go wrong. But boy, if your team can afford it and you got the room under your cap and you can easily put yourself in a situation where you're protected, why wouldn't you? It's almost like they call Progressive Insurance. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. A triple threat of protection with home, auto, and more. Visit Progressive.com. I, I love it when you guys chime in. Triple eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. We'll take more of your calls. You can disagree with me. Let's keep debating it. Always in for that. Plus, the NFL preseason is finally over. I'll give you my top five preseason observations across the league next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz, flying solo. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance, Jason Fitz flying solo. I'm going to get you my observations, but you guys, blowing up the phones, everybody wants to chime in. I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball to the guys here because I see Charles in Montana wants to chime in about Jimmy G uh, and, and what it means for Trey Lance. Uh, can, Dev, I'm going to throw an off, 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 cult, uh, off course here for a second. Let's take Charles real quick because I want to hear this. Charles, what do you got? Thanks for calling the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I uh, agree with everything you said about uh, it's a great move with the with the for the Niners re-signing Jimmy G, restructuring that contract. Never understood why they were getting rid of him in the first place. The only thing that's I think different about this, I maybe call it a quarterback contest than what you might normally see, is Jimmy G. All you hear about him like is that he's such a great locker room presence, and I, I just don't know how that would. Uh, like if if Trey Lance is going to be able to win over the locker room, like when has that ever happened? When we've had these like quarterback competitions before? See, that's where and Charles, thanks for the call. I, I wanted to get that thought in because I'll say this: you're right. We've heard great things about Jimmy Jimmy G in the locker room. We have never heard anything about Trey Lance one way or the other about the about the locker room, about what it's like to win the, the locker room over. And I will never forget getting a tattoo before the NFL draft with Max Crosby of the Raiders. We were sitting down, we were getting tattoos, and I asked him about leadership in the locker room, specifically around Derek Carr, because Raiders fans are so split on Derek Carr. And one thing he said to me that, that resonated, we have to remember, he said great teams don't have one leader, great teams have lots of leaders. 
I, I think we put too much on it. And until there's actual evidence of somebody, even anonymously, speaking out about Trey Lance to some source around the 49ers as being a locker room problem, I don't think there is one. So uh, I, I hear what you're saying because, again, this is the logic we all apply to it. But I'm going to take that prosecutor's podcast logic. I want actual evidence. And there is none that the locker room supports one guy over the other through any of it. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Uh, we'll get back to more of your calls. 888-ESPN-888-729-3776. I genuinely love talking to you guys about it. But preseason football is over, and that means we get to cue some NFL music so I can get some preseason top five going. Oh, I just love the way this feels. These are my top five observations from the course of the preseason. Let's Number start five. It. There we go. You guys are right ahead of me. Number five, every single throw Tua Tungvaloa is going to make is going to be overanalyzed, and it will crush his career. I think the Dolphins are actually pretty talented. According to Caesars, the over-under is eight and a half for the Dolphins for their win total this year. I'm taking the under. Not because I don't think the Dolphins are good, but, man, I don't know if you guys saw this on Twitter. Beautiful bomb, little underthrown to Tyreek. It's amazing how often we see a quarterback under three, underthrow a new wide receiver. And what we say is, oh, it's just going to take some time. They've just got to get their timing together. All of a sudden, if you looked at Twitter, everybody that was commenting was, well, would have been a touchdown in Kansas City. That's what's going to happen every single time Tyreek Hill tries to make a play. I you having Kermit do analysis for you? Is that what's yeah, happening there? Yeah, that's why Kermit's like, hey, God. I can't do it now. I thought I had it for a second. It's gone. No. I can't, I, you know what? It, I appreciate the effort. It comes and goes, you know. <laughs> I sound like Kermit, and some days I feel like Miss Piggy. It's a perfect uh, combination for me. Uh, so this is what's going to kill Tua. And honestly, you go as your quarterback goes in the, in the tough, tough AFC. So as much as I think the Dolphins have the talent to make a playoff run, and I like Tua Tungvalu, the quarterback, I think the magnifying glass is just – absolutely too intense on him at the quarterback position. It's going to make this year tough. Let's go to the next number. Number four. Titans fans. I, you know what? I'm willing to, to fall on the sword and say mea culpa. Like, I really – Malik Willis sort of feels like one of those projects that's going to sit on the bench for three years and then you'll see what you got. I was really impressed this, this preseason. I felt like every week Malik Willis came out and got better. And that's what you need right now from a young quarterback that's not going to see the field this year. Uh, as much as Titans fans want to totally talk about the packages he could come in and how hard it makes it for teams to defend him, that's cute and that's nice. But I think what you got to look at from an organization is can you develop your starting quarterback for the next 15 years? I came into this process saying, I don't know, with Malik Willis, much like Trey Lance, hard to tell when suddenly you're looking around and you think uh, the level of competition at Liberty, who do you play against, what's he going to look like in the NFL? The fact that he has gotten noticeably better every single week, man, I think that's a significant sign for the Titans, not for this year, but for three years from now. So congratulations, you've at least got a reason to hang a hat on a quarterback name and say maybe there's something happening here. Let's go next on the list. Number three. Cut blocks are controversial. I know this isn't a big preseason observation takeaway that's a hot take, but look, when you got JJ Watt, uh, TJ Watt, sorry, uh, getting hurt in a preseason game, it does at least make everybody nervous, right? It makes everybody a little nervous about what the future is going to look like for the player because you never want to see players get hurt. Now he's going to be just fine. But the flip side of all of that is maybe coaches should start having conversations before these preseason games about the techniques they will and won't use because this conversation is not going to go anywhere throughout the course 
of preseasons for years to come. Next up. Number two. The Patriots are going to miss the playoffs. Hammer the under. Eight and a half, according to uh, Caesars right now. Eight and a half. I'm hammering the under on it. And look, I this is not about Bill Belichick. And Patriots fans don't at me. It's not about the the tuck rule. You know, I'm not. I've never hidden the fact that uh, I'm not a Patriots fan. But I've always been very respectful of their greatness and ability to win through anything. I can't shake the the sight of watching the Raiders' second and third defensive uh, lines get up on their starters repeatedly. I can't shake it. Uh, the offense looks bad right now to me, and. You know, I, I think hopefully they figure it out because, frankly, the Patriots uh, being good is good for our ratings. People like talking about the Patriots, so I'm all in on that conversation. But I'm looking right now saying too many yeah buts for me over and under uh, over under is eight and a half. Feels like the Patriots are going to have a hard time getting their offense going. I'm taking the under on that. And the top observation. Number one. Week one football is going to be sloppy. Sloppy. You got to learn a lot about your team by who didn't play in the preseason. So if you have a team that really wasn't playing anybody, they're telling you, hey, we'd rather work it out in practice and know that it's going to be a little wild early on in the season. We've reached the point where preseason tells everybody absolutely nothing about meaningful football. Man, it's hard hard for me to feel like we're not going to have mistakes everywhere. And when there are mistakes everywhere, that actually benefits big play and big offense. I think week one, Hammer the over, right? Like, it feels like there's going to be a lot of points in sloppy football. What we need to do is realize that now it used to be you had a sense of your team opening week and you had a real sense of where they were going in the playoff battle by week four. I don't think most of us are going to have a true sense of whether our team is good, bad, ugly until week four. It's going to take a month of the season to figure out if your favorite team is any good. Because no preseason means rough football to start. Triple eight, say ESPN eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. We'll get more of your thoughts on the news that Jimmy G is going to stay in San Francisco. Since so many of you disagree with me, we'll get those in. Plus, how much cause for concern is there in Tampa Bay with Tom Brady? We'll ask our buddy Bill Barnwell next when he joins us on Spain and Fitz ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. 888-SAY-ESPN-888-729-3776. A lot of you guys disagree with me. I think it's a fantastic idea for the 49ers to keep Jimmy G. I seem to be in the minority on that. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance, by the way. We're going to get Bill Barnwell, ESPN NFL writer, and just you know our all-around friend of the show to come on now. And see what he thinks. Uh, my, my logic on this, Bill, is that we have absolutely no idea if Trey Lance is any good or not. There's very little money on the line when it's restructured. And you kept him away from Seattle. So keeping him in the building seems like you're playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. That's my logic. Am I an idiot? Fitz, I would never say you're an idiot. I don't think that is true. But I think it's really, really fascinating because to me, I think, the best-case scenario for the 49ers with this deal is that they need Jimmy Garoppolo, that Trey Lance does stink, that Trey Lance gets hurt, and Jimmy Garoppolo it comes in and plays at a high level. All of that's great, but let me ask you this. Let's say Trey Lance struggles in Week 2 or Week 3. What do you do? Do you bring in Jimmy Garoppolo? Can you take Trey Lance out of the lineup? Are there going to be people in that locker room, let alone the fans, we're going to call for Jimmy the first time Trey Lance struggles. To me, I think once you close that door on Jimmy Garoppolo, 
you can't open it up again. And to me, I think the Niners, by doing this, even if they trade him later in the season or plan on trading him later in the season, they're reopening that door to Jimmy Garoppolo ever so slightly. If they're reopening the door, I mean, I, I guess, hear me out, Bill. Like, I, I get all yeah. of that, but I feel like there has to be more credit given to the confidence it takes to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Not all of them, I get that. But if you're Trey Lance, you already beat the guy. You already won the job. You feel good about it. Like, isn't there a spot, like, in in my mind, I look around, I'm like, fine, I, I beat your ass. You don't have the job anymore. I do. If you want to come in and enjoy the snacks in the room, fine, but this is my seat. I'm not really worried about it. But remember, there was not really a competition here, right? I mean, the competition was last year. Jimmy Garoppolo won that competition. This year, really, once the offseason ended, Kyle Shanahan was saying, hey, Trey Lance is our guy, which it makes sense. They traded three first-round picks to get him, but it wasn't like they were in camp competing realistically, and Kyle Shanahan said, hey, well, the winner of this competition is going to win that job. So, from Jimmy Garoppolo's perspective, he might say, hey, I've never had a chance to really win this job, but when I did a year ago, the only time I had a chance, I did win the job. So, to me, I think that's true for Trey Lance. It's also true for Jimmy Garoppolo, and I think you know, I, I don't think Jimmy is re-signing there thinking, I'm going to collect a paycheck and be happy and buy my own business. I think he's there because I still think I think he still thinks this is my team, and if I get a chance to prove it, I'm going to prove that I'm the best quarterback for this job. And if he does do that in the process, then that will uh, obviously increase his value next year in the open market. Uh, if you were Seattle, was there a part of you that was hoping, rather than Geno Smith, you'd be announcing Jimmy G was your quarterback sometime this week? Oh, boy. I mean, yes, but also they think like different human beings than me. Like, I wouldn't have traded Russell Wilson. I wouldn't have picked up Drew Locke. There's all these things Seattle has done. They actually think they think about football very differently than the way I do. So I think Jimmy Garoppolo, to me, is an average NFL quarterback, which is valuable, especially for $6 million a year. So, yeah, I think for Seattle's perspective, I think it would have been great for them to end up with Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield, for that matter, but they seem set with Geno Smith and Drew Locke, and they seem to have been consistent with that all offseason. How good are – if if Geno Smith is just okay, where are the yep. Seahawks this year? I think they're like 7-10. and 10. I kind of think they're – you know, they're a little better than people give them credit for. All the advanced metrics say they were actually a lot better last year than kind of what their final record was, even with losing Russell Wilson for four weeks. I think the defense is going to be better this year, healthier certainly. I like the moves they've made in terms of their coaching staff. And I think they're going to be able to still throw the ball okay because they still have two really talented receivers in Drew Locke and Tyler Lockett. But to me, I think Geno Smith, you know, is the arm strength, is that really there for those downfield throws? Can they run the same kind of offense? To me, I think they're going to be better than people give them credit for right now, but I just don't think they have that kind of ceiling you have when you have teams with better quarterbacks in that division. We're talking to Bill Barnwell, ESPN NFL writer, and of course, of course, host of the Bill Barnwell Show, wherever you get your podcast, You can follow him on Twitter at Bill Barnwell. So I said earlier, I'm out on Tom Brady in the MVP conversation, not because he missed 11 days of practice, but when you combine the 11 days of practice with the I'm 45, life is complicated with the I have no offensive <laughs> line with a number of injuries, like it just feels like there's a lot of yeah buts. What do you think are reasonable expectations for Brady this year? That's a good question. You know, I think obviously plenty of weapons at receiver. I mean, he certainly has people to throw to. And I think the offense is going to be different. You know, I think with the offensive line issues over the past couple of years, they've had a great line. So they've been able to kind of take their time and hit stuff downfield. That's really what Bruce Arians wanted to do in that offense. I think this year the offense looks more like what Tom Brady did in New England, where it was about getting the ball out quickly, you know, playing quick game, not having the ball for too long, because I don't think that Lions going to be able to protect him on the interior for long enough for him to hit those deep shots. So to me, I think, it's going to be a different style offense, but I still think he can be effective 
running that kind of offense with the personnel they have. So to me, you know, I think maybe more like what we saw from him the past couple of years in New England, as opposed to maybe what we saw from him his first two seasons in Tampa Bay. You mentioned line issues. The Cowboys decimated again with injuries. Uh, I mean, how do they how do they thrive with this offensive line situation? I, I think it's it's sort of the same thing with with, with Dak, where it's get the ball out quick. And I think the concern for me is look at Tampa. You know, they have so many good receivers: Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage, Julio Jones. Like they have so many weapons to work with in that offense. Cowboys got CD Lamb, and then it's basically waiting until Michael Gallup comes back 100, percent which might not be till mid season. So. You know, I, I think it's going to be much tougher for Dak and the Cowboys. And I wonder if, you know, what Jerry Jones said last week on first take is kind of telling where he said, we go as, da- as as Zeke goes. You know, I wonder if they're going to say, we're going to rely more on Ezekiel Elliott and running the football because we don't think we can hold up in pass protection and protect Dak Prescott to hold the ball for two or three seconds. Talking to Bill Barnwell. Bill, I, I love the work you always put in to watching people and figuring out what makes it great. And so – I'm looking at Russell Wilson, and a couple of years ago, I was sitting around with some of the NFL film guys, and they were breaking down all the things that it takes for Russell Wilson to be successful and why Seattle did it brilliantly. Why do we just presume that the Broncos can piece all of that together and suddenly have a great team with him? <laughs> I mean, that's a fair point. And I think, you know, for, for all the talk about wanting to let Russ cook and wanting to throw the ball a ton, Russell Wilson was at his best when they were running the football effectively, and he had a big plash game off of that because, hey, he wants to hit those shots downfield. That's what he's good at. He's really good at scrambling and making plays happen, and I think you want to have the threat of a running game to prevent that. So, you know, I, I think Nathaniel Hackett's worked in a lot of different places. He's worked in Jacksonville, had to make the offense work for Blake Bortles, which didn't always work all that well. In Green Bay, I think you got to see what different people thought about offenses when it came to Aaron Rodgers. There were different people from different organizations, different sort of trees in the past there, and I think that was a positive for him. So I, I think there's going to be some growing pains. You know, I think with every major quarterback we've we'll seen, whether it's Brady, whether it's Peyton Manning before him, um, we usually see growing pains early in the season. They do tend to get better as the year goes on, and I think by – November and December, you know, Russell Wilson's going to be looking like the Russell Wilson we saw in Seattle. But September, I think they're going to struggle. And I think, you know, in a division that's so tough where it might come down to one win here or there, you know, that could be the difference between them winning the AFC West and being a wildcard team or not even making the playoffs at all, perhaps. I'm going to make Bill Barnwell the GM of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Who do you start? Oh, boy. Who do you start at quarterback? You start Kenny Pickett. I mean, the only reason you don't start Kenny Pickett is if you don't think you can protect him. But to me, if you can't protect him now, you can't protect him in week 15. So to me, I think, you know, at this point, they're going to be a competitive team based on their defense and their running game. Get, get Kenny Pickett as many reps as possible. You have Mitchell Trubisky if Kenny Pickett's confidence gets shot to, to get a week off for him. But I think you want to get the most opportunities for him because you're going to be more competitive in 2023 than you are in 2022. Uh, always great stuff. Appreciate your insight. Yet again, I haven't had time to ask you why you think the Raiders are going to take a step back. I, I don't know, Bill. We just keep running out of time. Follow him on Twitter, <laughs> at Bill Barnwell. Bill, always appreciate your expertise, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Anytime. Uh, Bill Barnwell doing great work. And it's sort of like, you know, the what's up with that uh, skit where they never seem to get time for the one guy from uh, – uh, at the end, I can never think of the guest. They couldn't get him in. Matt Damon. That's what, that, thank you. Uh, we we can't get. We just can't get that Raiders question in. That, Apologies that, that's what to Matt happens. Damon.
Uh, well, we ran yeah. out of time. Apologies to Matt Damon. Uh, all right, we're going to take your calls. You guys want to chime in on Jimmy G and what it means for the 49ers. I may be the only person on this hill, but it is a hill I am proud to die on. The 49ers are out thinking all of us. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. More of your calls plus quickies coming up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Want to get you updated. Serena Williams won the first set over Donka Kovinic. 6-3, tied 1-1 in the second set. Donka has the serve right now. So we'll keep you updated on that. As obviously, uh, it's always historic when we see her, uh, especially at the U.S. Open. And I think everybody understands at this point in the career, it's important for her to, uh, for all of us, to enjoy getting the opportunity to watch her at her uh, do her thing. Uh, so we'll keep you updated on that. Also, I want to give a quick shout-out before we get anywhere here uh, to the Las Vegas Aces in the atmosphere that we saw in the playoff game uh, yesterday. Uh, you guys know my fandom, obviously, but I was watching intently on ESPN, and it was pretty incredible to see the crowd. If you didn't see the crowd that was on hand uh, for the Storm and the Aces game, which came down to the wire, the Aces had a wide-open look to tie the game. Would have been a tough three, but open look to tie the game as the buzzer expired. Wasn't able to hit it, but uh, so they lose game one at home. Now they trail in that series one nothing in a best-of-five series. That's not a great spot to be in, but that crowd was absolutely insane, and it was such a reminder when you watch a crowd like that fired up that when you see any sport uh, showing itself off in front of just mad chaos with great players going at it, it is such a great platform for the league overall. The WNBA took a huge win on Sunday by having ESPN shine a light on a great atmosphere around a great game with great opponents, with big-name stars. It was everything the WNBA needs to win in that situation. While I didn't love the outcome of the game, I certainly walked away from that game saying, man, what a win for the league. We'll keep you updated on the WNBA playoffs, plus shameless uh, promotion on Wednesday. I'll be hosting a little bit of a digital WNBA hoop streams wherever you get your uh, digital ESPN content. So ESPN app, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. I'll be doing it before Spain and Fitz. So don't worry. It will not interfere with Spain and Fitz. I'll do that. And then I'll be over here uh, hanging out with everybody. You guys want to chime in? Brag. Uh, yeah, no, no humble brag about it. Just straight brag. That's what we're doing here. Uh, Ross in California chiming in with us on Jimmy G. Ross, what do you got, man? Thanks for calling the show. Hey, Jason, how you doing? So Great, man. I how are you? Wanna, you know, pile on on you, but I got to tell you, just because there's no evidence of something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We don't know anything or everything that they know about Trey Lance and what they may know, they may not be telling us. Now, the deal with, with Garoppolo doesn't seem like a bad deal, especially if Lance should falter or Lord forbid he gets hurt. Garoppolo comes in, saves the season, makes a deep run and, you know, if they make the Super Bowl, somebody's going to be writing a big check. Yeah, now well, I, I don't give you a break. I don't disagree with any of that, Ross. I would just say, like, you're, you're right. Just because there isn't evidence doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But, my God, like, that's a rabbit hole we want to go down. Like, I, I mean, if that's a rabbit hole we want to go down, we can make up anything we ever want about any player in the NFL for everything and anything in any situation and – I don't think that's productive for any of us. Like I, I, I mention this podcast all the time because it, it really is my favorite thing in the world. But the Prosecutors podcast, 
uh, two prosecutors that sit down and they don't they don't use any speculation. They don't use any stories you heard about on social media. They follow just the evidence. And when they follow just the trail of evidence, they're able to inform you in ways on famous cases that you've never been informed ever by normal specials you're watching because there's no bias and they don't care. They're just following the evidence. At some point, do we not have an obligation to be covering some things in sports the same way? I mean, there is no evidence that there's any issue with Trey Lance. There's only evidence that the 49ers are able to get an affordable backup quarterback that's a good insurance plan. To me, it's that simple. I, I know we want to make things complicated all the time, but the amount of things that confirmation bias, another phrase that I learned on that podcast, uh, when you just you've decided you want to stack together the things that will support the theory you've already determined is the right theory. I'm not using any of that. So if I'm not using anything other than sitting here saying, well, now they have an affordable backup quarterback that has proof of concept that knows the offense, that knows the coaching staff, they know him and they've got a starter they can still take a chance on. There's not a single bad in that equation to find the bad. You got to make it up. It's the only way you can find the negative. You've got to make it up. And we don't know anything about Trey Lance to be able to make that up. Chad in Dallas, thanks for calling the show, Chad. What do you got? Hey, what's going on, Fitz, man? You're not going to down that hill alone, man. I'm with you. Everyone's saying that, you know, Trey Lance should be nervous or he might be nervous. Look, if you're, if you're nervous about somebody uh, being in the background, then you shouldn't be in the NFL. And a quick analogy, I run track and field uh, in college right now. If I want to make the U.S. Olympic team on a relay and they say, hey, you got the job, and then, but we're going to keep your the other guy you took a spot on the squad, we're going to keep him as a backup. You think I'm going to be nervous? No, I'm going to have full confidence that I beat him. I'm going to keep my spot, and I'm not going to look over my shoulder thinking, oh, my God, I might lose. Like, no, I'm going to get out there and have a dog, have that dog in me and, and grind each and every day to keep my spot. I love that attitude, Chad, and that's what I think more athletes have than people realize. Thanks for the call, man. I, you know, I'll say this: I, there was an artist I played for years ago in music before I was, uh, you know, before I was touring with the band Paired. And when I toured with this hashtag artist, humble brag, yeah, just straight brag. Uh, this artist uh, had had some hits, and I remember his management company came into the rehearsals at the time, and they came in and they were like, "Hey, fiddle player, stand in your spot over there. Don't move." And, and there's a reason why a lot of bands that you see that, like, if you see a big artist out there, a lot of bands are, you know, they call them back in black, right? Like, everybody's wearing black. You're just sitting in the back, you know, making any, any, any sort of movements. And the management company looked at me, and they're like, hey, never take attention away from the artist that you play for. That's fine. That artist had a, a two seconds of success and then faded away. But I remember when I got to the next gig that I had, uh, I was the, the next artist I'm playing for. I, I said that. I was like, hey, how do you feel about me moving around? Like, what do you want? And he he looked at me, he's like, why would you ask? And I told him that story, and he said, man, if I have to worry about my fiddle player outshining me, then I don't belong in front of a band to begin with. There's some truth to that. It takes some level of confidence in what you're doing and how you're doing to be able to do it. And if you're so soft as an NFL quarterback that you can't handle a backup that you already beat for the job being in the room, you probably aren't wired to be a starting quarterback. Now, I'm not asking you if there's ever been examples of it. Certainly, we can find those. Tell me how many examples there are of great quarterbacks being afraid of the backup in the room. Tell me how many examples there are. Maybe there are examples of Tom Brady wanting Jimmy G out of the room because, frankly, he just wants to continue to be the starter and you don't have the right to question him. That's a far difference from, I won this job, but I'm worried that this guy might take it. And you find me a quarterback that is that insecure, 
And I'm going to ask you the genuine question of if they're capable of being the level of starter you need them to be to be a Super Bowl winner. I'm sorry. I have a concept of the mental toughness of athletes. Part of it comes from the guys I've talked to around the room at ESPN. Part of it comes from the guys I've become friends with. And part of it comes from my experience in talking to them. I think we've decided that every single starting quarterback in the NFL needs a safe space and a bunch of cuddly teddy bears that they can hang out with so that their egos feel fine. Maybe some of them do, but we have no indication that that's Trey Lance. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Devin, producer extraordinaire, is actually going through his fantasy football draft right now as we are on air. Devin, how would you say it's going so far? Well, Fitz, I just uh, I am currently in the seventh round, and I just took Michael Thomas. So oh. uh, it's a gamble oh. that I figured, you know what, it's it's going to be worth taking, hopefully. How many Raiders have you selected so far? Uh, let me see. I have taken Devin? exactly Devin? zero Raiders. Devin? Why? Oh, because they were all off the board before you got to them? No, because I knew you were going to ask me this, and I wanted to be able to tell you zero. So uh, you just took Michael Thomas. Is Hunter Renfro off the board already? Like, there's no Hunter Renfro? No, Hunter just... Renfro is most certainly on the board. He's on the board. Okay. You took... okay. I took Mike Williams, who's a uh, charger in that division, uh-huh. though. No, no. Where'd Devontae go? Did, did, was Devontae off the board when you took Mike Williams? You're asking me to do a lot here right now. Um, you know he what? Was, I, yeah, I, he was taken earlier for sure. Okay, okay. I, 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 I don't know how I feel about My this. My first pick was Jamar Chase. What do you think about that? Seventh overall. I think that's a really good pick. I, I Look, if, if Joe Burrow can do that behind an offensive line that is absolutely you and I could have started for, I can't imagine what he's going to do when they've invested a ton of money in the positions, and I think they're going to be much. I, I think the Bengals are, are going to be really solid this year. In a, in a difficult AFC, I won't make sweeping judgments other than I did with the Patriots, but uh, for, for the Bengals, they're going to be part of that conversation. Devin, I'm proud of you for being so focused that you could do your job, you could take calls, and you could master your fantasy. Fantasy draft all at once. That's why you are Devin. I mean, that's. Just... I might have taken Michael Thomas just for the content on air, so I hope it doesn't backfire on me. Yeah, I mean, you took Michael Thomas before Hunter Renfro. So yes, and I, I would every time, hundred percent out of hundred. Wow, uh, this is Love this you, is. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.